things turned on that I need to turn on this morning. It's certainly good to see all of you here on this uh, bright, beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, thank you to uh, Matt and to uh, Brother Spencer for taking our minds to the throne of God already this morning as we have sung together, as we have prayed together. And I hope that our minds have been upon our great God that we have already thought about for a few minutes together this morning, to think about His mercies being new to us each morning, uh, to think about the blessings, the fount of blessing that He is for each of us at each moment in our lives uh, normally on the fifth Sunday morning at this particular hour, I understand it is uh, kind of your custom to uh, have the young men to uh, lead the service, uh, but due to several circumstances, not the least of which is the COVID virus that has been going around uh, the last month or so, uh, I'm up here today. Uh, Brother Brent and uh, Sister uh, Leah were scheduled to be in Mississippi uh, today, in Clinton, Mississippi, and uh, meeting a congregation there and talking to them about the possibility of working with them. But uh, Leah uh, tested positive for COVID on Thursday, and so they had to cancel that trip and I think put that off till maybe uh, later next month. Uh, so y'all are stuck with me this morning, but I hope that our time in study of God's Word in this session will be profitable and beneficial to, to each of us. And uh, we can gain something uh, from our, our study together of God's Word, and we can grow in our knowledge of God, and we can draw closer to Him and to one another. Uh, as you all know, uh, recently, a few weeks ago, our uh, br beloved brother uh, made some comments about the collection, and he made some comments about that uh, this past Wednesday. And after those comments were made, our shepherds asked me if I would preach a lesson on this biblical topic. And so I told them at that time I would. And uh, as Brother Skip mentioned in his uh, comments on Wednesday night, uh, he and I and the elders sat down last Sunday, and I think we had a really good discussion, uh, a very uh, profitable discussion, a brotherly discussion. Good attitudes were shown by everyone involved there. And so after discussing it with those brethren, I'm ready to do that this morning. Uh, I don't know exactly what the exact questions were, or even maybe, maybe the exact concerns that some of this group had or questions that they had asked. I don't know exactly every belief that, that our brother Skip has or our elders have or really anyone else has in this congregation about some things that we'll talk about this morning. I don't have the time this morning in about 30 minutes to look at every biblical text or to even address every possible question maybe that you may have related to local churches collecting money to do the Lord's work. But I'm going to do the best that I can in the short time that I have this morning to just give you three thoughts that I see from the New Testament about the collection. As I've already said to you, I think maybe last Sunday morning, uh, and it's true today, with anything that I preach, anything that I teach, anything that I say to, to you as we may have one-on-one -on -one conversations or small group discussions about things related to the text, what I'm presenting to you this morning is my understanding uh, of what the text says concerning the collection. I can certainly be wrong. I can certainly uh, 
uh, maybe not go as far as the Bible has gone. Sometimes I can go further than what you think the text says about something. And so um, I would welcome any comments or questions that you have when, when this session is over this morning. If you want to talk to me about those things just privately, individually, if you want to text me, email, if you want to get together for lunch, um, my only objective in this lesson this morning, in any lesson that I preach, is that we try to understand God's truth about anything that he has said. Uh, so I'm certainly willing to study these things, to discuss them further, and uh, who knows, my mind may change. My mind has certainly changed on a number of biblical topics and texts over the years, and I think that ought to be true for all of us as we uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a couple of preliminary thoughts uh, before we get to several texts that I've chosen for us to look at this morning. Uh, it certainly is true as we think about the, the work of local churches, as we think about the work that God has given us as a congregation to do, that not all of, all of that work involves money. Some of the work that God has given us to do may just involve our time, that we have to invest a, a certain amount of time into doing the Lord's work together. It may involve our energy. It may involve, uh, certainly isn't going to involve our effort. It's going to involve us using the gifts, the abilities or talents that God has given to us individually or even collectively to do His work. But it's also true that doing some of God's work does involve money. I don't know how we could do some of the work that God has given us to do collectively or even individually as Christians without some amount of money. As we think about the collective work that God has given us to do, taking the gospel to the world, that, that does involve time, that involves using our gifts, that involves energy and effort, but it also usually involves money. Helping God's people in need, that's going to involve money. Providing a place for us to meet as we are this morning, that's going to involve money. Purchasing needed items for this group, whatever it is, for us to function as a group, for us to uh, be able to study the Word together and to uh, just do all the things that we need to when we come together. All of that involves money. And so since a congregation needs money to do God's work, I think it's good for us to ask the question, uh, how do we collect that money? And is there any evidence or are there any instructions in the New Testament that would tell us how we are to do that? And, and I would say that there is. So kind of laying that groundwork uh, this morning, I want us to just think about three thoughts. And I'm going to try as best I can uh, because I have limited time this morning, just to stick to these three thoughts. And uh, I hope I won't go off on too many tangents because there's, there are lots of questions I think we can have about this topic or any other topic that, at least in my mind, the Scriptures don't specifically answer. And so we're going to have to look at principles and precepts and truths that God gives us and take those and try to apply them to our situation today. The first thought I have concerning the collection is to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and I think here, at least I see in this particular text, uh, what is called the first day of the week collections. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let's read these two verses together. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. 
Uh, as far as I know, and maybe you know differently, but as far as I know, this text is the only New Testament text that tells us when or how often first century churches practice financial collecting or contributing. If you look up that word that is at least translated here in the New American Standard as the collection for the saints, there may be some versions that say for the contribution of the saints or either even for the gathering of the saints. Uh, some versions may use the word collection here in verse 1 and then in verse 2 at the end of that verse where Paul says, He's giving these instructions so that no collections be made when I come. Some versions use the word collection in verse 1, and then in verse 2 use the word gathering, so that there will be no gatherings when I come. It, at least from my perspective, as I think about this particular text and the instructions that Paul gives here, if we didn't have this scripture, I, I don't know that we would know when or even how often we uh, should take up a collection as a congregation. As we just look at this text, and again, there are lots of things that we could pull out of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. We could probably just camp out here in this particular passage and spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about what Paul said. But notice here, here is Paul. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is a preacher of the gospel. He is giving, I believe, inspired instructions. And he says he's not giving these instructions only to the church here at Corinth, but he opens in verse 1. As he talks about the collection for the saints, he says, as I directed the churches of Galatia. So what that tells me anyway is that this instruction, I don't believe, was only for this specific congregation here at Corinth. But it was intended for other churches to practice as well, that Paul was not telling the church at Corinth to do one thing and then telling the churches of Galatia to do something else and the, the churches of Macedonia to do something else still. But he was telling them, all of these congregations, to do the same thing. So let me ask you just a question about that. Did, did Paul's directive or did his order, and as you think about, again, the, the words that he uses here in verse 1, the New American Standard uses the word directed as, I directed the churches of Galatia. Uh, some versions that I looked at, and I looked at a number of, of English translations uh, last week, and some of those translations use the word order. Paul is saying, as I ordered. Uh, we might could insert the word command here. It's a directive, I think, that Paul is giving on the basis of him being an apostle of Christ. So did Paul's directive or order apply only to this specific situation? That's a question sometimes we have as Christians. Is what Paul is saying here uh, to the church at Corinth and to the churches of Galatia, is it, is it just related specifically to this situation of relieving needy saints in Jerusalem? If it does, at least again from my thinking about this text, then we really don't have any divine instruction from God, from an apostle, uh, regarding how a congregation is to fund other work that God has given us to do. And we're going to look at some passages this morning that I think show us very clearly that congregations were not just about the business of helping uh, relieve the uh, needs of saints, brethren that had physical or financial needs, but congregations did the work of evangelism, of spreading the gospel. As we just mentioned a few moments ago, that it involves us. We have to give ourselves to the Lord in that work. It involves us giving our time and our effort and our energy and using the gifts that God has given us to spread the gospel around the world, but usually it involves money. 
or even the work of building up the body of Christ, if that does involve a certain amount of money, then I don't know of any other passage in the New Testament that would tell us how we are to fund that particular work. Although neither this, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, nor any other New Testament text that I'm aware of specifies how the church takes up a collection. That is to say, I don't know of any passage in the New Testament that says we have to pass around a basket or pass around a plate, as is our custom, at least in this country. I don't know what this congregation did for the many months, maybe that you didn't meet in the building. Uh, in E-Town, we, uh, we didn't do any uh, uh, virtual uh, worship, but we had a lot of parking lot assemblies. And in our drive-thru, we just put out a box uh, for someone to, to uh, put their, their contribution in. Again, I, I don't think that the New Testament specifies that for us as exactly how a church can take up its collection or exactly how we have to give. You know, the New Testament, there's no passage I'm aware of that says we have to give coins or we have to give cash or a check or, you know, a debit or credit card or in this digital world uh, have some kind of digital transaction or something like that. I don't believe the text gets into all of that, but at the same time, I believe that at least I can conclude from this passage here that we are to take up a collection as a congregation on the first day of the week. Again, there may, may be something I've said this morning has raised other questions in your mind. And if it has, that's fine. Uh, I can't answer every question. I don't even know I ha- that I have the wisdom to answer every question about this or any other biblical topic or text. But if you want to discuss that further, uh, that, that certainly is fine. Secondly, the second thought I had about the collection uh, of a congregation is that I believe as we look at the scriptures, we find that, that it is planned, purposeful giving on our part as individuals. Staying here in this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, again, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul describes the situation here as he's writing to them. Maybe they have asked him some questions about this, as was true of other questions as you read through, especially 1 Corinthians, that Paul was kind of responding to those uh, biblical questions, scriptural questions that the church here had. And in verse 1, he says, now concerning the collection uh, for the saints. Th- there was a specific purpose, I believe, for this collection. Uh, there was a specific need that this collection would supply. And Paul defines it here in verse 1. He says it's for the saints. And as we put that into the greater context, not just of what is written here in 1 Corinthians, but you go to 2 Corinthians, you can go to, to uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, even back to the book of Acts, other places in the New Testament, that there was this situation of brethren, saints, Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, who were in need. They were in poverty. I, I don't know exactly what uh, caused that particular situation to arise, but there was a physical, financial need that they had. And Paul says to the church here at Corinth, again, as he is giving these instructions to other local churches that the purpose of this collection, what need this collection would supply is to help those who were needy saints in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Notice also here as we come to verse 2, it's kind of interesting to me to think about uh, what he is writing here in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. I think there is a 
a collective part to these instructions. It's something that we are all to do together, but there's also an individual aspect to it as well. And so he addresses that, I believe, in verse 2, when he says again, on the first day of every week, uh, each one of you is to put aside and save, or some of the older versions said to lay by and store, as he may prosper. So notice here again that Paul was not only giving these instructions to the collective group here at Corinth, but he is giving some instructions to each saint, each person who made up the church here at Corinth, and directing each saint to, I believe, plan his or her weekly giving. When he said, you're to put aside and save some money as he may prosper. I think that is also key as well as we think about our collective giving, as we think about individually contributing to uh, this common collection or common fund uh, that the church would, would take up on the first day of the week. You know, if, if uh, a Christian, male or female in the first century, didn't prosper <laughs> during a specific time, I, I don't believe they would uh, be under this instruction or this directive to give. He qualifies that that it's as we may prosper. God doesn't tell us, speaking through Paul here, how much we have to give. He doesn't tell us a certain percentage of uh, our income that we have to give. He just gives us some general, I think, instructions here that we are to be putting aside and saving uh, so that we can contribute to that, that collection of the congregation, and it's on the basis uh, of us prospering. This gets into you know, other questions that we might have. I mean, just practical matters. For us as Christians, if we uh, are paid once a month as a church here, I just get, have gotten a check from the church for the month of January. It was the same when we were in Kentucky. I was paid monthly. You know, how, how do you think about that as an individual Christian? Are you just prospering once a month? Um, I don't know that the, the text gets into all of those questions and gives us answers to those, at least from my perspective. Uh, I just decided, uh, we decided as a family to uh, contribute to the work of the church each week. But if a, if a brother or sister that is paid monthly decides that they're going to just contribute monthly, that's between them and the Lord. So again, there are other questions that we can get into um, I'm just telling you what Paul is, is saying here, what my understanding of it is. So as he's directing each saint to plan his or her weekly giving, I think that means that this church as a whole here at Corinth was able to collectively plan, to collectively purpose to supply the needs of their brethren in Jerusalem. Uh, if you turn over to the next book here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, again, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think Paul is continuing to discuss the same uh, situation about the uh, needy brethren in Jerusalem. And there's lots of verses that we can look at here in 2 Corinthians 9 along these matters. Uh, but I want you to just notice uh, verses 1 through 5 in this chapter. Paul writes, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. 
So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. As you just read through those verses, I, I hope you can hear in Paul's language just the words that he uses here about Achaia, about this church here at Corinth being prepared there in verse 2 since last year. In fact, if you go back to chapter 8, uh, I believe it's at verse 10, uh, Paul talks about, uh, he says there at verse 10, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So it wasn't something that just came up on the spur of the moment. It doesn't seem to me. It was something that Paul had presented to them, this situation, even the previous year. And they had been planning, they had been purposing for a while now to uh, give this particular money or funds to relieve uh, the needs of their brethren in Jerusalem. And Paul, I think in, in these chapters here in 2 Corinthians, one purpose he has in these few chapters is to remind them of what they had previously promised, of what they had planned and purposed, and not just to plan and purpose it, but to do it, to carry it out. Now's the time for uh, them to act on their plan or their purpose in helping their brethren in need. Drop down here to verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As Paul, again, I don't think is just speaking to the church as a whole, but now speaking to us as individuals, he says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when he says that we are to purpose in our heart, I believe that at least says to me that we need to plan as individuals, as members of a local church. We need to plan or prepare uh, what we are going to give to fund the, the work that God has given us to do. Uh, drop down to verse 12. I know we're kind of skipping around here. Uh, I'm taking it for granted maybe that you have, have read and studied 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 before. If you haven't, then I would urge you to go back and read these chapters in their entirety so you can get the, the whole train of thought of, of the Apostle Paul here. But in verse 12, as he continues speaking about uh, helping the, the brethren in need in Jerusalem, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So our individual giving into a, a common collection or fund is what Paul says here in verse 12. I believe it is for the purpose of fully funding or fully meeting the present or even future ongoing needs. It could be for us today, maybe of this congregation here at Fairview Park. It might be of Christians elsewhere. As again, Paul says in verse 12, the ministry of this service is not only fully, fully supplying the needs of the saints. So yes, it's giving glory and honor to God. That's ultimately what our giving should be about. But as we do that, the specific purpose here on earth is to uh, fully supply the needs of the saints, whatever needs those might be. Lots of other texts I think we could consider this morning, but just based on these texts that we have already looked at this morning, I believe that we can conclude that, that we are to financially give in a planned, purposeful way. Again, it's, it's for a purpose. It's not just that this is something I, I believe that God has directed us to do. But there is a purpose in it so that we can accomplish the collective work that he wants local churches to do. And there, there is work that we can do that doesn't involve maybe any money at all. It just involves us. 
But then there's other work that God has given us to do that does involve uh, collecting funds and using funds. The third and final thought that I'll give you this morning is that I see in the New Testament related to the collection, related to our giving, is there, there should be continual giving to meet continual needs. If you're still here in 2 Corinthians, turn over maybe a page or two in your Bible to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11, again, we're kind of breaking into the middle of a, a thought or discussion that Paul is having here. He's really trying to show this church that he is a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says at verse 7 beginning, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from you, from them rather, to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Uh, We know as you go back to the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 18, Uh, Alan, if you've been in the the Wednesday class, he kind of went through some of this chronology in trying to prepare us for studying 1 and 2 Thessalonians and trying to track Paul and his uh, travels when he went from place to place. But you might remember in Acts 17, he was there in Athens preaching uh, to those people who didn't know anything about uh, God and telling them about the unknown God. He comes to chapter 18. He comes to the city of Corinth and he is there by himself in Corinth for a time. Uh, Paul and Silas uh, have remained back in in Berea and they have gone some other places. But at the very uh, beginning of Acts 18, Paul is there with Aquila and Priscilla and he's making tents uh, to provide for himself physically, financially. But Luke tells us there in Acts 18 that Paul stayed in Corinth for about a year and a half. So when he first came there, he was working... uh, with his hands making tents to provide for his needs. But after a while, the Bible tells us uh, at verse 5 that Silas and Timothy came. And at that specific time, the, the Holy Spirit says that he began devoting himself, Paul did, completely to the Word. Well, what, what changed between Paul being there by himself and working with tents and just going into the synagogue on the Sabbath and teaching those who were Jews? What changed between then and when Silas and Timothy came. How was Paul able to do uh, that work to completely devote himself just to uh, his charge of of preaching the gospel? Well, I believe he explains uh, some of that here. Uh, As you look at verses 7 and 8, especially verse 8, he says that he robbed other churches. And I don't believe Paul is saying that he was a thief. (laughs) Uh, He's just using some accommodative language here, almost some ridiculous language, if you will, in chapter 11 to get them to see he really is an apostle of Christ. But nevertheless, he said that he robbed uh, other churches taking wages from them in order to serve the Corinthians, in order to preach and teach the gospel to them, in order to stay there for a year and a half to not only uh, convert them to Christ initially, but then to help them grow, to build up uh, that church in their walk with Jesus Christ. So his work of preaching the gospel, even just in this one city of of Corinth, we know that he was in Ephesus for about three years. Uh, Some other places, we may not know exactly how long or how short he stayed there. But the point I want you to see in all this is that his work of preaching the gospel, even just in this one city of Corinth, 
It was an ongoing work. And that required ongoing supply of his physical needs so that he didn't have to make tents during the week and then do the work of an apostle or a gospel preacher uh, at the end of the week so that he could, he could focus his mind, his time, his energy, all of his efforts on proclaiming uh, the gospel and having all of his physical uh, needs taken care of by other churches. Uh, so that's an ongoing work, I think, that, that certainly is good for us as a congregation to, uh, to fund with, with uh, money. Over in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, uh, at verse 15, we see something that Paul wrote here to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4 and verse 15, he says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So one such church that had funds available to share with the Apostle Paul, as he describes it there, kind of interesting in verse 15, that this, after he left Macedonia, that this congregation here at Philippi was the only church that had fellowship with him or shared with him in giving and receiving. If you just think about those two words, giving and receiving, to me that suggests this is continuous action. He, they were continually giving financially to Paul so that he could do the work of a preacher. He was continually receiving uh, financial support from them. As he says here in verse 16, even when he was in Thessalonica, that this church sent a gift more than once for his needs. That again says to me, this is something that is continuous, something that is an ongoing thing. Um, and what, one church that did that, of course, as he's mentioning here, was the church at Philippi. They had fellowship with Paul as he preached in Thessalonica. Uh, Philippi may have been among the churches that he mentioned back there in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, and verse 9, one of those churches of Macedonia that may have provided for his needs when he was preaching and teaching the gospel in the city of Corinth. Again, the point I'm trying to get us to see, to think about this morning is, here is a brother, an apostle of the Lord, who has devoted his life to spreading the good news around the world. And here is a church in Philippi, and evidently again from 2 Corinthians 11, other churches uh, that were continually funding um, his work in the Lord. How were they able to do that? Well, I would suggest to you, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and as those brethren in those congregations were contributing uh, each week to that work, that at least a part of those funds would go to help uh, Paul and others preach the gospel around the world. Uh, some other things as we just think about kind of the continual work of of a congregation. If you go to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, and uh, we're going to end here in just a few minutes to just look at a few passages here. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, uh, Paul is giving some instructions specific to those who are shepherds, overseers, elders of a congregation. He says in verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So if a congregation has elders, and one or more of them has a need, for whatever reason, to be financially supported by that congregation, 
Paul is giving some instructions, some directives here about how you go about that. He says to us, I believe that the church can continuously meet that need, just like the church here at Fairview Park is, is supporting me and Brent uh, financially to, to work among you, to work with you, to work in this uh, community here, this part of Arkansas. Um, that, that is an ongoing relationship or fellowship that we have. And Paul makes mentioned here uh, at the end of verse 17, and then he, you know, if, if we kind of miss his point, I think he makes it even clearer in verse 18, what he's talking about here, that these instructions are especially so for an elder who works hard at preaching and teaching. This may be a man maybe who is retired from his, you know, lifelong occupation or vocation, and maybe he has more time. Uh, he, he has just more opportunities to uh, really uh, devote himself to preaching and teaching the gospel than he did at an earlier point in, in his uh, work as an elder. And Paul is saying if this man really works hard at preaching and teaching the gospel, that the church can support him financially, just like we can support anyone else who is preaching the gospel. That may be an ongoing uh, relationship or work there. Earlier in the chapter, Paul gives some instructions about those who he describes as widows indeed. In verse 3, he says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Just one point to make here very briefly uh, at verse 17 when he says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So when he talks about honor here in this chapter, I think it is tied to, yes, we can show honor to our brethren in, in a multitude of ways, but here specifically, to show honor to them by financially supporting them or helping those who are widows indeed. So he describes or defines a widow indeed in verse 4. Any widow that has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Drop down to verse 9. He says a widow is to be put on the list only if she has been is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. He gives some more uh, characteristics that she must have there at verse 10. And then at verse 16, he sums up that whole discussion by saying, if anyone who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So if a congregation has widows that meet this criteria, widows that don't have anyone to care for their physical financial needs, then Paul says the congregation can put her on the list. What exactly that is, we could sit here and discuss that a long time. I think he's saying a church can continually provide for her needs, can continually make sure that she is not destitute. That's an ongoing work. So very quickly as we wrap this up this morning, these texts tell me anyway that God's work for local churches is a continual work with continual needs. Some of those needs are monetary. Therefore, I think we must continually give uh, to meet those needs, to continually fund God's work of proclaiming the good news of Christ to the world, building up the body of Christ, and supplying the physical needs of disciples of Christ. Well, I feel like I've rushed through that <laughs> very much this morning. But thank you so much for your patience and your attention. Again, if you have other questions or comments related to this or anything else, feel free to talk to me about that. And let's all continue to focus our minds upon God as we dismiss to our classes now.